Let's open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 47. So last week, Genesis chapter 46, we've been studying kind of the life of Joseph lately. Joseph has brought his family into the land of Egypt because there were still five years of famine left. Miraculous story. You can pick up these messages if you missed them online. As we've been looking at the person of Joseph, we see that how he is strange. He pictures Jesus here, you know, a thousand years before Christ comes, a little bit more than that. He, he just, there's so many things about him, his character, what he goes through that just, just points to Jesus, particularly in chapter 46 where after his brothers were reconciled to him and the family was brought near to him, Joseph became an advocate. He became an intercessor between his brothers and the king. In verse 31, Joseph told his brothers that he would go between uh, them and the king. And just as Jesus, our mediator, goes between us and the Father, he is our mediator. He is that interceder before us. Not only does Joseph picture Christ in that he intercedes for his brothers, but he also, he instructs them. Chapter 46, uh, verse 31, Joseph instructs his brothers to declare themselves to be shepherds before the king. We want you to say that you're shepherds before the king. And as we spoke of last week, shepherds, they were what before the people of Egypt? Detestable. Declare yourself what you are, so to speak. And because of this, they would actually be in the land, but not of it. The people of God would be in the land, but not of it. A people separated to God, untainted by the Egyptian culture, hopefully. But we see what 420 years does and we see them uh, going out of the uh, wilderness, wanting to go back into Egypt after a while. But that was God's design, to keep them separate, not tainted by the Egyptian uh, idolatry and all those things going on, but to keep them a people devoted to the Lord. And the purpose was, for that, was so that the Messiah would come through the tribes. That's the big picture. But in the same way, Jesus has made us a holy people, a royal priesthood, a people who are separated, but who are in the world, but not of it, because Jesus lives in us. And if he lives in us, and he was despised by the world and rejected, what do you think happens to us as we are in relationship with Jesus Christ, as his light is in us and flows through us? Light does what to darkness? It exposes it. <clears throat> How do you like that? How do you enjoy that? In our flesh we go, oh. But in the spirit, when the Lord, he, he reveals the inner workings of our hearts, when he reveals, reveals our sinful workings, our nature, we go, oh Lord, you're so right. You're so good. Thank you for showing this to me. And we begin to seek him and to conform our ways to his, to what he says. And so, as we live like Jesus, John 15, verse 18 through 19, Jesus said, if the world hates you, speaking to his disciples, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to this world, it will love you as its own. If you belong to this world, it will love you as its own. If you belong to this world, it will love you as its own. Boy, that's convicting, isn't it? As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. Does the world hate you? That's a question I was asking myself. Not because I'm obnoxious. <clears throat> you know, I mean, there's a lot of 
Okay, let's just start out with a yes, but besides that, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I'm just, because you are his, because his word and his ways goes above the world and its ways. You know what I'm saying? Being his is reflected, and I, and I just have to say this, through our obedience to his word, that his commands are what we live for. Why is that? Because his command is this, that you what? That you love one another. Not as the world loves, but as he loves. We take God's word and we elevate it above culture. We take it and we elevate it above what we think about things, we, above politics, above heritage, above America, above anything, nationalism, your family, your, where, you know, what you've come from, who you've been, who you are. His word is, is supreme. It's above his name. And it teaches us to love. It points us to Jesus. It points us to the person of Christ. We, we've talked about this many times. You can study the scriptures and think that you have life in them, but they are they that, which point to me, Jesus said. What did Jesus do? How did he live? How did he act? This is not a salvation issue. This is a discipleship issue. This is a sonship issue. We are saved by grace through faith, period. Not that of works. We know that. But what are we saved for? To respond in, in a life that follows Jesus. The very fact that we are his, we follow after him. The Holy Spirit working in us, showing us the scriptures, and us seeing things and conforming our hearts to it, our lives to him. Those that are Jesus's will walk as Jesus walked. You will know a tree by its fruit. And the world does not like that. They like certain aspects of it. But when we talk about the love of God and how we love God, and yet a loving God can judge, we have two different definitions of love. God's love is not you can do whatever you want just as long as you want to do it. God's love is, obey me, for I am life. How does that feel? Not very good. And we reject that wholeheartedly as a culture. We accept it when it, when it uh, grooves with what we like. But when we start to actually follow the Lord, there's some things in there that get quite unlovely that the world does not like, but they bring life in themselves. His life, it threatens all mankind, I wrote down. He said, he shines light into darkness, and mean, men either accept him or reject him. That's what he does. He's a divider. He's also a uniter. Our lives are to reflect Jesus, his words, his ways, the way of love, not as the world loves, but his love and his truth not the world's truth, but the truth. And we're to be at shepherds among Egyptians. You know what I'm saying? We're to be shepherds among Egyptians. The God, you know, God through Joseph was emphasizing to everyone in the land that these people were sojourners. They were just passing through. They were shepherds. And that came through in their, in their speech to the king and the world around them. 
So Joseph reflected Christ in both that he was a mediator between his brothers and his king, and he instructed them on how they were to live in the land of shepherds. What were they to do while they were there? And that's what Jesus does with us. He's made safe passage for us. He's given us a deliverance, but now he's teaching us how to live as his representatives, as his sons, as his daughters, the way his kingdom works in this land, in this foreign land. That's what he's doing. And we're to be a slice of heaven on earth. Chapter 47, Joseph went and told Pharaoh, my father and brothers with their flocks and herds and everything they own have come from the land of Canaan, Israel, what would be Israel, and now are in Goshen, <clears throat> there you have Ramses there. Verse 2, and he chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked, his, asked the brothers, what is your occupation? Your servants are shepherds. They replied to Pharaoh, just as our fathers were. They also said to him, we have come to live here for a while. Because the famine is severe in Canaan and your servants, flocks, have no pasture. So now please let your servants settle in the land of Goshen. A few things here I wanted to point out. First is that Joseph's brothers were accepted by the king because of whom? Because of Joseph. That's the only reason they were accepted. Because of Joseph. He went before them. Even though they were detestable in Egypt. I love this. But because Joseph was favored, his brothers were accepted. Thank you, Lord. I've been detestable, but because of you, Jesus, I'm accepted. I love that. Jesus has done the same for us. There's a term constantly used in the New Testament. It's the phrase, in Christ Jesus. You see that, in Christ Jesus? It's, it's our association with him, being under his name, being in Christ, baptized into Christ, so to speak. We are his. What are the benefits of that? I wrote down a few of them here. I, well, I copied and pasted a few. Kindergarten, uh, you know, skills coming into play here. Romans 3.24, we have redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I like these so far. Romans 8.2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Praise the Lord. Romans 8.39, No height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of our God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What are the benefits we're having from being in Christ Jesus? Can't be separated from the love of God. 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 1, verse 2. To them who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. We're sanctified. We're made like the Lord day by day. 1 Corinthians 1, 4. I always want to thank my God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. God gives us grace in Christ Jesus. The benefits of being in Christ Jesus. Galatians 2.4, we have liberty in Christ Jesus, freedom. Galatians 2.6, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. We are justified. Justified, kind of a, a thing I learned, uh, you know, justified, never sinned. We are made justified, never sinned. We are justified. We're made right before God. We're made clean be in Christ Jesus. That's what Jesus does for us. You see this relationship between us and the king, and Joseph and his brothers, all the things that could have happened but didn't, and all the blessings that flowed to them because of Joseph? It's a picture of Jesus. Galatians 3.28, neither is there no Jew, nor Gentile, nor slave, nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. He eliminates all that. He makes us one. What are we so concerned about in our culture? 
you know, our genitalia and all these orientations. It's like, look what Jesus does. He doesn't separate us. He unites us in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 6 through 7. And God raised us up with Christ Jesus and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. It's all wrapped in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 7, just a couple more. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How many of you need peace? Guess where it's found? In Christ Jesus. We don't find it in the world. We don't find it anywhere else. We find it in him. And one more, 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's one more for you. You get to be persecuted in Christ Jesus. As Jesus walked, so we walk. All the benefits that we receive in Christ Jesus. So where do we need to go? Who do we need to go to daily? Oh, we go to the Father through Jesus Christ. And if we aren't about that, church, we're dead. We're, we're dying. He wants us to be alive, going to him, drinking daily, receiving the food we need for the spiritual life that he's called us to. There are dozens more uh, that you could get into, but the benefits of being in his family. And the brothers were accepted and blessed by the king because of Joseph. <clears throat> the second thing I wanted to point out was verse 4. Yes, we will get through this. They also said to him, We have come to live here for a while because the famine is severe in Canaan and your servants' flocks have no pasture. And so now please let your servants settle in Goshen. They were not planning on making this a permanent home. They're just planning on being here for a while. That mindset of a sojourner that was passed down. Sojourner, someone who wasn't going to put anchors in the ground living for today. That doesn't mean they didn't have flocks and herds and jobs and, and houses and things that went on, but their heart was with the king. It was eternal. It was with the Lord. That was what they were to be as a people. That is what we are to be. If they paid attention to their great-grandpa Abraham, Abraham, uh, they would have known how long they would actually be in there, how long the stay would be. Back in Genesis 15, Abraham divides the animals as a sacrifice. Remember that? And he arranges them on either side, and the Lord appears to him. And Abraham had every intention of walking down the middle of that thing and making an agreement with God, hey, let's go together. But God put him in a deep sleep, basically. And God alone went through it because guess what? Abraham wouldn't have been able to make the covenant. God is the one who made the covenant. God is the one who is able to fulfill it. I love that about the Lord. <laughs> he, did, he does it all. But Abe, he didn't get the chance. He was put into a deep sleep. And the, it says in Genesis chapter 15, verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nation uh, they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. And in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sins of the Amorites had not yet been reached in full measure. We've talked about the Amorites before and the reason God was sending them away and back. 
But this was not to be a permanent situation, but it was going to be 400 years, 420 years actually, until they'd be brought back out. I know they had probably not planned on 420 years, but nevertheless, that's how long their people would be in bondage. God had to do a work while they were in bondage. And God would deliver them up through Moses. That's the book of Exodus, the next book, right? He would deliver them up through Moses. But there is this mindset that they had. They were fixed on Canaan. They were fixed on, oh, I'm going to go back to the promised land. And that's what we're to be preoccupied with. I'm going to be with the Lord. That's where we're headed. And this is the mindset we're to have while we're on earth. We might have difficult days here and be mistreated and oppressed. But it's going to be so sweet when the Lord delivers, isn't it? It's going to be awesome when we see him face to face, when our deliverer comes. One greater than Moses. A deliverer greater than Moses will come and take us home either by death or by rapture or whatever, you, you know, uh, bent you have there. He's taking us home to be in his presence. I love that. Verse five, Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your fathers and your brothers in the best part of the land. Imagine that. You come to Walla Walla and hey, whatever you want's yours. Go settle it. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Why did they have the best? Why were they given that? Because they deserved it? Because they earned it? Because of who they were? You know, they slaughtered a couple cities, did some things that weren't really good because of Joseph. Let them live in Goshen. And if any of you uh, are known among you to be, have special abilities, put them in charge of my own livestock. That's, that's cool. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in, in and presented him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked him, hey, how old are you? <clears throat> Jacob walks into the presence of the king and he blesses him. I know it says greeted, but I think it says blessed, so you can do that. Uh, but he walked in and he blessed him. In that culture, Pharaoh, Pharaoh was believed to be a god. He was believed to be a god. It was Pharaoh who was to bless. Pharaoh was the greater than Jacob, so to speak, in that culture. Jacob was the lesser. Remember Jacob was the younger brother? And what did he always do to the older? He tried to manipulate. He tried to take he tried to steal the blessings. And here we see him in his older life, what God has done in his life. He becomes what? He's a blessing. He walks in and he blesses. I am so encouraged by that. I was talking to Christine uh, yesterday. By the end of my life, I, I don't want to be the same man I am today, you know, or I was 10 years ago. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to become a blessing, not a taker. I want to be a giver, you know, so I'm, I'm thankful that the Lord sanctifies us and makes us more like him. And so what a testimony of God's work in J Jacob's life. And Pharaoh asked Jacob, how old are you? Now, I don't know if Pharaoh was a younger guy, perhaps younger than Joseph, because Joseph says a few chapters back, he goes, hey, I've become like a father to Pharaoh. It might be that Pharaoh was a younger, younger guy and raised that. I don't know. But I wish the Hebrew had certain emphasis because what did he say? He's like, is he going like, how old are you? Or is he going like, you know, how old are you? Or is he going, you know, how old are you? You know, I mean, what is it he's doing? We don't know. So I wanted to bring that out there. Verse nine, and Jacob said to Pharaoh, 
The years of my pilgrimage are 130, 130 years old. And he says, my years have been few and difficult, and they don't equal the years of the pilgrimage of, of my fathers. How many of you would say that's my life's verse? My years have been few and difficult, and I do not match up to those who've gone before me. Wow. I, it sums up his life. I've been on a pilgrimage. I'm on a journey. I'm 130 years old, and it's been rough. It's been rough, and it has been rough. I'm not quite accomplished as much as my dad and his dad and their walks of faith, but here I am. What does that show in his life? Humility. He's a humble man. That is, you know, I'm sorry. I'm going to go ahead and, I know you're going to be all, hey, you young whippersnapper, but there's nothing greater than a pleasant, seasoned saint in the Lord that's just had the grace of God work through their lives and they are just full of grace and mercy and love and they're humble. And there's nothing harder than a bitter old person to, to be around and to handle. And I say we can choose who we want to be. We can choose to follow Jesus and let him do his work in our lives. We can be a blessing or we can be sucking the life out of the room every time we walk in. Preach it like I say, right? I know I'll probably be stoned after church. It's like, but then he leaves. He comes in the room, and what does he do? He blesses. And what does he do when he leaves the room? Verse 10, then Jacob blesses Pharaoh and went out from his presence. He's a blessing when he comes in and a blessing when he leaves. That's the kind of person I want to be. When he walks in, it's like, yeah, he's here. When he goes, I go, oh, man, he's going. I know, we're not there yet, but we're working on it, right? You're like, okay, 15 minutes, get the blessing done. <laughs> but he was a humble man. So verse 11, so Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramses, as Pharaoh directed. And verse 12, Joseph also provided his fathers and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. So in the middle of this worst famine in Egypt's history, God's people have the best in the land of food, these people of, of, of Egypt. It was the best because Joseph provided it. And I think in the same way, the Lord knows how to sustain us in times of famine. Now, we don't preach a, a health and wealth gospel. Because you're saved, you will have Mercedes Benz and, you know, and have, you know, do all this stuff. Just send your, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, we see Jesus is teaching in Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, Matthew 6, 25-34, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat, what you drink, or about your body. Maybe we need to underline that about your body several times. What you will wear, is not life more than food? And the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Don't they, they do not sow, reap, nor store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them? Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See the flower of the field when it grows? Do they, they do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Look at flowers. I mean, how amazing they are. And if God, um, if this is how God clothes the grass, grass of the fields, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you 
Oh, you have little faith? How much value do you have in him? Why do we worry about these things? In times of famine, in times, is he not faithful? Will he not provide what we need? King David, I think, said, you know, or it might have been Solomon, I think Solomon, you know, all the, the days I've lived, I've never seen the righteous begging bread. So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, church. The pagans run after these things. Those who are godless. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows what your needs are, church. But seek first the kingdom of God, right? And his righteousness in all these things, all the things we just talked about, will be given to you as well. Boy, that's, that's a blessing. So what is your number one concern in life? To seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom. What is your number one priority in your mind right now? Put it down a notch. Put the kingdom in, above it. And watch these other things get taken care of one by one. Doesn't mean we don't go out and we work every day. Doesn't mean we go out go and pursue what the Lord has given us. But we put it's, it's our heart's desire is to seek after the kingdom and everything we do, all that we are. And he will take care of that, brother or sister. He will. And if he doesn't, it's because he's teaching you something or there's something greater going on. That's the way the Lord works. Our Heavenly Father knows what we need. We're to seek first the kingdom. Now contrast the rest of Egypt with the children of Israel. Israel was given the best in the land and food according to their families, as we'll see. They actually prospered greatly. Verse 13, lightning around here. There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe, both in Egypt and Canaan. It was wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payments. I'm sorry. Yeah, and Canaan in payments for the grain they were buying. And he brought it into Pharaoh's palace. The first thing the Egyptian government called, uh, collected when the people were in need was their money. And then verse 15, And when the money of the people in Egypt, Canaan was gone, all, Egyptian, uh, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is gone. Well, then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock since your money is gone. And so they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle and their donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food. Uh, in exchange for all their livestock. The next thing to go was their possessions. This is a very bad famine in this time. And verse 18 says, when, when that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, we cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there's nothing left for us except for our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes? We in our land as well, but us in our land, uh, buy us in our land in exchange for food. And we will... Uh, sorry, guys. I lost my place. Exchange for food. And with our land, we will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seeds so that we may live and not die, and that the land may be not become desolate. Verse 20. And so Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. And so money went, possessions went, property went, and finally their persons were sold into 
servitude into slavery. In this situation, I actually see government um, serving one of its main purposes, and it's the preservation of life in times of national disaster. I know culturally we, we look at this and go, what are you doing? We're going to see the people are thankful that they're alive. And that is actually why God put Joseph in that situation at that time to be in government, a righteous man, so that he would bring life to the people in this circumstance. Remove our current circumstances. That's what was happening back then. God wanted people to live. And in that great time of horrible famine, God's people would actually have a place and they thrived within it. You know, it's interesting how the church thrives in persecution. The church thrives when there's very little else around. <clears throat> so in order for the people who were being afflicted by devastation to eat they had to pay for it it wasn't free with their money their possessions their land and their persons the provision provided by the Egyptian government was not free that's really interesting except for a select group of people of course verse 22 <laughs> however he did not buy the land of the priests because they had received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had uh, food enough for the same allotment for Pharaoh. Uh, anyways, he took care of them. That's why they didn't sell their land. The priests were valued in that culture. They were a very religious society, and that's why the king took care of them. They must have been had a great lobbying group there. Verse uh, 23, Joseph said to the people, Now that I have, have bought you and your land for uh, today for Pharaoh, here is the seed for you so you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth to Pharaoh. The other four-fifths you may keep as seed for the fields and as food for yourselves and for your households and your children. So Joseph, in his wisdom, he gives people who had nothing, he gave them grace. I love that. Who had nothing, he gave them grace. And he gave them seed to plant and to survive on. Later in the law of Moses, you're going to see how God makes provision for those who were destitute in society, who couldn't provide for themselves, really couldn't provide for themselves. The story of Ruth is a perfect example. Remember the story of Ruth? Ruth is a Moabite. She's from a foreign land. She's divorced. No one, no male, no, no structure to take care of her in that society. So she goes into Israel. And what do we find her doing? Gleaning. We find her gleaning which is picking up the fallen wheat because God had commanded the owners of the fields, when your workers go and they collect, if anything falls on the ground, you leave it there. Don't cut the corners of the field. Just leave the corners. So people, it was their welfare system. People could go out and work, get food for themselves. If they didn't go get it, they died. And they came back. That was what was going on. God was providing grace for them. She was not a regular worker in the field. She was picking up wheat. This is what the Lord commanded. He gave opportunity. And Joseph made the provision. He gave them seed to plant. If they wanted to eat, they would, they would work for it. But check this out. What are the two things that are true in all society? Death, death and taxes? They were taxed. What was the tax? 20%. 20%. How many of you would enjoy a 20% tax break? I'm just joking. I mean, totally, like, you know, besides being nickel and dime and all that stuff. But they, they had to pay 20%, one-fifth. They could keep 80%, and the government could keep 20 So sales tax, income tax, capital gains tax, you know, death tax, life tax, all that stuff was averaged out to 20, 20%. And 
And what was their response to Joseph in verse 25? Man, you have saved our lives. Thank you so much, they said. May we find favor in the eyes of the Lord, <clears throat> of our Lord. Uh, we will be in bondage to Pharaoh. And so Joseph established it as a law concerning the land of Egypt, still in force today, that a fifth of the products being, uh, belonged to Pharaoh. The time of the writing was later on. Moses wrote this. It was only the land of the priests that did not become Pharaoh's. So, man, this is a great deal, they're thinking. Now, I just have to take this in a, and I have to put it in my life. Um, I, I'm putting a spiritual twist on it, so chew on it, spit it out if you don't like it, whatever. But I have to say, has Jesus saved our lives? Has he not rescued us from the ravages of sin? Has he not taken us and saved us from devastation? We aren't even slaves. We're sons and daughters. He's brought us into his family. He's adopted us. So if Egypt is thankful and gave up 20%, and I'm not, you know I don't like to manipulate on this stuff. I'm just saying, church, what's with 10 Why do we grumble at 10? And that's even Old Testament. Why do we grumble at giving God to God? I'd have to say, like Jacob, the Lord still has some do, work to do in my heart to make me into a giver, not just a taker. You know what I mean? We receive the blessings of God. God's provision, His salvation, His precious word, the fellowship of the saints, and all these things we spoke about in Christ Jesus. You know, I just have to challenge you. If you've been coming here for a while, if this is your church, and you're not tithing to, to the church, what are you doing? Repent. Start giving to the Lord. Start giving. And this is the thing. When we start giving, what happens? We can't contain it. Now, all of those of you who give faithfully, you're going, praise God. Amen. But those of you who don't, I know the struggle. I know the struggle. It's, I've got to make ends meet. I've got to, these things have to happen. But what does Jesus say? Give and it shall be given. So we have some ways to go. How many of you love hearing about tithing? In this culture where people are trying to get your money, listen, regardless of whether you tithe or not, God takes care of me. He taught me that a long time ago. This is not for me, this is for you. I can go get three jobs, whatever. It's not about me. This is for you. It's for what God wants to do here through our ministry, through our church. We've got guys on this board who are looking and giving and looking at people in the body who have needs and giving to them and taking care, investing in ministry. It's not a, it's a tight ship, friends. And so I just want to encourage you in that. And if you take it kind of like, oh, you know, Get off the kick. How many times have you really heard me just say it straight out? How many times, church? How long have I been here? That's not what we're about, are we? And so, what does it say? We're to be hilarious givers. <laughs> here you go, Lord. And guess what? 
I don't, okay, money is just, Jesus talked a lot about money. Your life, your talents. I've seen God as you have stepped out faithfully and given of your time to people, as you've given your talents to people, as you've given your resources to people. What you have, what does he do with it? He's given you more and he multiplies it and people are blessed. This is a kingdom principle. And the enemy comes in here like he does, I think, with the gifts of the Spirit and different things. And he wants to throw a wrench because we've got crazy guys on TV manipulating people out of money. And the crazy thing is that God even blesses the people that gives because they're having faith in the Lord. And so they take that as validation for their ministry. So what I'm saying is that let's be a giving church, continue to give in all ways. That's what we do. We put the kingdom first. And for those of you, and I know so many of you do, I don't know anybody who gives. I am, by the way, as a pastor, I know nothing on the financial side. I have no idea who gives, nothing. I just get to love people. Now I can beat you up freely, and then we can all. <laughs> Praise God for your faithfulness in giving, church. We're blessed because of you. We're blessed because of you. The ministry of the word goes forward. And that is what is paramount at all times. So, anyways, I'm done with that kick. We're finishing in three minutes. Pride towards your life around the king is what it is. In closing, verse 27, now, the, now Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there. Were fruitful, they were fruitful and increased greatly in number. And Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. Jacob was given another 17 years with Joseph. Interesting. 34 years in all, similar to someone else's lifespan. Verse 29, And then, when the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If you have found favor in your, if I found it favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise uh, that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Put your hand under my thigh is Old Testament for pinky swear. Do not bury me in Egypt, but uh, when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. And then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. I love that verse right there. Jacob knew what the Lord had said. I'm going to go down, you're going to go down to Egypt and I will surely bring you back again. Bring me back, Joseph. Don't let me stay here. Interesting verse 31, then Joseph swore to him and said, and Israel worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Go For extra credit, you can go home and look up Hebrews eleven twenty one. It talks about that. So let's pray. Father, we, we ask that your spirit would continue to pour out daily upon the people of this church. And Father, I know uh, that as we go through your word, there are hard things said. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't cower away, but we'd run into the throne room and say, God, what do you say about that? What do you want? So Lord, with everything that's said, we take it before your throne and we study the word and we, we see if what is said is true. So Lord, just uh, take, the, take the meat and give it to your kids and throw out the bones. Father, would you continue to show us and lead us in all areas of life, that we would be a blessing to the people in this room, the families they represent, and that it would go further into the community, Lord, that we would take ground this year, Father. There are so many opportunities for blessing. 
And Lord, we want to step out in faith and see your provision. So God, will you uh, continue to point us to Jesus who leads the way? Amen.